Hello, this is Storkey. I'm your host, April. This is a podcast about history. I'm going to be discussing events, people, and sometimes just random things from history that interest me and are important. I am absolutely not a historian. I'm just a dork who spends a lot of time watching, reading, listening to anything I can get my hands on about history. And I want to talk about it. I think a lot can be learned from looking into the past, and I'd like to share what I've learned, and my opinion about what I've learned. And I hope you enjoy it. This is the fifth episode in a mini-series of sorts, The Wives of King Henry VIII. King Henry VIII had six wives. His fifth wife was Catherine Howard. Oh, Catherine Howard. According to Wikipedia, Catherine was probably born in Lambeth in about 1524. The exact date of her birth is unknown. As if this poor woman's life wasn't sad enough, they didn't even bother to record her birth. Catherine was the first cousin of Anne Boleyn, Henry VIII's second wife, and second cousin to Jane Seymour, Henry VIII's third wife. Catherine's mother died when she was about four. Her father sent her and some of her siblings to live with his stepmother, the Dowager Duchess of Norfolk. The Dowager Duchess ran a house with many wards, most of them the children of aristocratic but poor relatives. This was actually a fairly common arrangement back then. What was uncommon about this particular arrangement was the lack of supervision the Dowager Duchess provided her wards, and how uninvolved she was in the upbringing of them. While living there, the girls would steal food, wine, and gifts from the kitchens, and then allow men into the sleeping areas at night. Catherine's character has often been described as vivacious, giggly, and brisk, but never scholarly or devout. This description of her doesn't mean much to me because it's the way she's been remembered up until like 20 to 30 years ago throughout history. It's only recently that people have taken a second look at Catherine Howard and realized she might have been being viewed through a skewed, biased lens. As far as her actual education, she could read and write well enough, but that's about it as far as I could tell. She eventually started taking music lessons and began an affair with her music teacher, Henry Mannix. Mannix's exact age isn't known, but he was an adult, most likely in his 20s or even 30s, while Catherine was in her very early teens. This relationship ended, and Catherine was soon pursued by Francis Dorheim, who was a secretary of the Dowager Duchess. I don't know how old he was, but I'm going to assume that since he was a secretary of the Dowager Duchess, he would have been older than Catherine, who was, again, in her early teens. They allegedly became lovers, addressing each other as husband and wife. Durham also entrusted Catherine with various wifely duties, such as keeping his money when he was away on business. See, that's another reason I'm assuming he was older than Catherine. What teenager goes away on business? Many of the other students living with her knew about the affair, and eventually the Dowager Duchess found out about it as well. Durham then left for Ireland. Catherine and Durham may have had intentions to marry upon his return, agreeing to a pre-contract of marriage. If they did exchange vows like that before sleeping together, they would have been considered married in the eyes of the church. 
Catherine's uncle, Thomas Howard, the Duke of Norfolk, helped her get a position as a lady-in-waiting in Anne of Cleves' court, where she quickly caught Henry's eye. He sure has a thing for ladies-in-waiting, doesn't he? Anne Boleyn was a lady-in-waiting. So was Jane Seymour. Now he's after one of Anne of Cleves' ladies-in-waiting. I'm just saying that I see a pattern here. Catherine's youth, prettiness, and liveliness were captivating for the middle-aged king. Catherine was only at court a few months before he was giving her land and other gifts. King Henry and Catherine were married the same day Cromwell was executed. Catherine was young, joyous, and carefree. She was too young to take part in administrative matters of state. Nevertheless, every night, one of Henry's advisors would come to her chamber to report on the king's well-being. No plans were made for a coronation. Henry had basically given up on having his queens coronated by this point. The last one was Anne Boleyn. But she did travel downriver in the royal barge into London to a gun salute and fanfare by spectators. Henry and Catherine also went on progress to celebrate the marriage. It wasn't too long after their return from this progress that it's believed she started having an affair with Thomas Culpepper, one of the king's courtiers. Their meetings were allegedly arranged by one of Catherine's ladies-in-waiting, Jane Boleyn, Lady Rochford. For those trying to keep it all straight, Jane Boleyn was the widow of Anne Boleyn's brother, George Boleyn. While Catherine was having an affair with Thomas Culpepper, people who claimed to have witnessed her earlier sexual behavior while she lived with the Dowager Duchesses reportedly contacted her, demanding favors in return for their silence. Some of these blackmailers may have even been appointed to her royal household. The Archbishop of Canterbury was eventually tipped off to Catherine's behavior, and Lady Rochford was interrogated, and she agreed to talk. She said she had acted as a watchout for Catherine on the back stairs as Culpepper made his escapes from the Queen's room. During the investigation, a love letter written in Catherine's distinctive handwriting was found in Culpepper's chambers. Here's what the letter said. Master Culpepper, I heartily recommend me unto you, praying you to send me word how that you do. It was showed me that you were sick. The which thing troubled me very much until such time that I hear from you, praying you to send me word how that you do. For I never longed so much for a thing as I do to see you and to speak with you, the which I trust shall be shortly now. That which doth comfort me very much when I think of it, and when I think again that you shall depart from me again, it makes my heart die to think what fortune I have, that I cannot be always in your company. It my trust is always in you, that you will be as you have promised me, and in that hope I trust upon still, praying you that you will come when my Lady Rochford is here, for then I shall be best at leisure to be at your commandment. Thanking you for that you have promised me to be so good unto that poor fellow, my man, which is one of the griefs that I do feel to depart from him, for then I do know no one that I dare trust to send you, and therefore I pray you take him to be with you, that I may sometime hear from you one thing. I pray you to give me a horse for my man, for I had much ado to get one, and therefore I pray send me one by him, and in so doing I am as I said afore, and thus I take my leave of you, trusting to see you shortly again, and I would you was with me now, that you might see what pain I take in writing to you. Yours as long as life endures. Catherine
one thing i had forgotten and that is to instruct my man to tarry here with me still for he says whomsoever you bid him he will do it to be fair catherine denied writing this letter she told her interrogators that culpepper ceaselessly begged for a meeting and that she was too fearful to refuse when she was arrested even the head of the investigation the archbishop of canterbury felt bad for her saying i found her in such lamentation and heaviness as i never saw no creature so that it would have pitied any man's heart to have looked upon her he ordered the guards to remove any objects that she might use to harm herself catherine was stripped of her title as queen and imprisoned culpepper and thomas durham remember him were both arraigned for high treason and executed many of catherine's relatives were also detained in the tower tried found guilty of concealing treason and sentenced to life imprisonment and forfeiture of goods her uncle the duke of norfolk distanced himself from the scandal by leaving court and writing a letter of apology laying all the blame on his niece and stepmother that's whose house catherine had lived at before coming to court Catherine remained in limbo until Parliament quickly introduced the Royal Assent by Commission Act, which made it treason and punishable by death for a queen consort to fail to disclose her sexual history to the king within twenty days of their marriage, or to incite someone to commit adultery with her. I'm going to quote Wikipedia directly here, because it's important. This measure retroactively solved the matter of Catherine's supposed pre-contract and made her unequivocally guilty. No formal trial was held. They didn't even give her a trial. In my opinion, it would 1,000% have been a show trial, but they didn't even give her that much. She was taken to the tower by boat, which went under London Bridge, where the heads of Culpepper and Durham were impaled. Those heads were there for the next, like, four years. They made her enter through the traitor's gate, and she was led to her prison cell. The next day, the Bill of Attainder received royal assent, and her execution was scheduled. The night before her execution, Catherine is believed to have spent many hours practicing how to lay her head upon the block, which had been brought to her at her request. According to popular lore, her last words were, I die a queen, but I would rather have died the wife of Culpepper, or something to that effect. But no eyewitness accounts support this, instead reporting that she stuck to traditional final words, asking for forgiveness for her sins and acknowledging that she deserved to die a thousand deaths for betraying the king who had always treated her so graciously. She described her punishment as worthy and just and asked for mercy for her family and prayers for her soul. This was typical of the speeches given by people executed during that period, most likely in an effort to protect their families, since their last words would be relayed to the king. Lady Rochford was executed immediately after Catherine. Both bodies were buried in an unmarked grave in the nearby chapel, where the bodies of Catherine's cousins Anne and George Boleyn also lay. Henry did not attend. Catherine's body was not one of those identified during restorations of the chapel during Queen Victoria's reign. She is commemorated on a plaque in the west wall dedicated to all those who died in the tower. So, it should be obvious to anyone listening to this that I have a bit of a soft spot for Catherine Howard. I don't know what exactly was going on at the Dowager Duchess of Norfolk's house when Catherine was living there, but it all sounds pretty shady to me. 
I have no way of knowing if the Dowager Duchess was just blind to all the shenanigans going on under her roof, or if she was somehow complicit, but either way, she was ultimately responsible for the care of Catherine, a child, and she failed her miserably. Catherine was taken advantage of by men, adults, at a very young age. I understand that the concept of consent wasn't really a thing in the 1500s, and that women were viewed in a very different way back then, but still. A very young Catherine was used terribly by some terrible people. Something that really gives me pause is that when questioned by Henry's men if she'd entered into a pre-contract with Francis Durham, she said no and was adamant that Francis had raped her. By the time she was being questioned about this by the king's men, the jig was up. If there had been a pre-contract between Catherine and Francis, it would have made more sense for Catherine to just admit it. Yes, this would have ended her and Henry's marriage, but it would also have allowed Henry to simply get their marriage annulled. She possibly would have just been banished from court in disgrace, instead of being executed. I'm not saying this is what would have happened if she had said there had been a pre-contract. I mean, this is Henry VIII we're talking about. Who knows what he would have done? But I think it would have made more sense for her to say yes, there had been a pre-contract, if there actually been one, than to claim rape. Now, do I think she cheated on Henry with Thomas Culpepper? I obviously can't say for sure, but probably. She denied writing that letter that was found in Culpepper's room. But I think that, if she really did write it, that it's some pretty damning evidence. She told the men investigating that Culpepper wouldn't leave her alone, and that she was afraid of him. That's possible, too. Catherine was in a really precarious position, and was basically being blackmailed by a bunch of members of her own household for jobs. So I think it's likely she did have an affair with Culpepper, but my question is, did she sleep with Culpepper because she wanted to, or because she didn't think she could say no? I don't think she even knew the kind of agency she really had. I mean, she was Queen of England, but didn't really have the respect or power of a queen. Remember how earlier I was like, she was too young to take part in administrative matters of state? Even Henry viewed her as just a pretty thing that he owned, and treated her that way. She'd been nothing but mistreated by men all her life, and if you look at it from that perspective, maybe she didn't even know she had the power to tell all those people to just go away. I feel like she grew up being neglected or abused by everyone around her, and it doesn't seem like any of that changed for her, even when she became queen. I view her as a victim of the time she lived in, as well as a victim of pretty much everyone around her. And then they threw her away. I know how dramatic I'm sounding, but I just can't see it any other way. Catherine Howard's story is, to me, absolutely tragic, and the way it ended makes it even more tragic. So that's it. That's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can reach me at dorkypod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know if I left something out or got something wrong. Or let me know if there's something in particular in history you'd like me to talk about. There's also a Facebook group called Dorky Podcast. Join it and be part of our community. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're hearing it. 
It helps the podcast grow. But more importantly, your feedback will help me make this a better podcast. Until we meet again, friends. 